Vicki White orchestrates the escape of Casey White from the Lauderdale County Detention Center. Together, they go on the run. For the first time, hear letters written by Casey White detailing what was supposed to happen as law enforcement closed in. Join us for a Chasing Evil exclusive. I'm Chris Gotzik. This is Chasing Evil. Welcome to episode four of our five-part series on the escape and capture of Vicki and Casey White. We continue our conversation with those who knew Vicki White and had the very difficult task of trying to bring her to justice. This episode is told primarily from the perspective of Chris Connolly, the district attorney of Lauderdale County and a friend of Vicki White's, and Sergeant Matt Burbank, the lead investigator on the case for Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office, and also a friend of Vicki White's. Of course, we're also joined by Senior Inspector Scotty from the U.S. Marshals Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force. Vicki White was Assistant Director of Corrections at the Lauderdale County Detention Center and had fallen in love with Casey White, no relation, a 6'9", 333-pound inmate serving a 75-year sentence and awaiting a capital murder trial. And on April 29, 2022, she engineered an escape and the two disappeared. We're going to go back to April 28, 2022, and we'll pick up the story from Sergeant Burbank. No one knows what's happened, but Vicki White's patrol car has just been found, and Vicki and Casey are nowhere to be seen. I, I, you know, I jump out of my vehicle, I run up to the patrol car, um, and within looking, just the few seconds of looking inside that window, my heart sank. I knew then that Vicki had, you know, broke Casey out of jail the how the uh, driver's seat was was scooted you know up for a shorter person and like I said Casey's six foot nine Vicky's was you know what five foot one on a good day okay um you know there was no Casey wasn't driving the car um I knew there was no way that you know he had a, access to a gun um the little window partition between the front and the back Casey's is not fitting through it and then in the back seat lay a handcuff key and a, a set of his jail slides uh so there was no way you know he even if and and, the, and i also checked to make sure the doors were working properly that you couldn't open the doors from the inside mm-hmm, all that. Mm-hmm. um and like there was no way he could have got out of that back seat unless vicky let him out of that back seat so it wasn't like you know he was holding a knife to her throat something like that you know vicky was in on it right and i knew that immediately and then you had the logical conclusion of she knows she can't transport him. She certainly can't transport him right. alone. So why did she? Right. And then I had to make that phone call back here. And um, what was the reaction when you told them something that was the unfathomable? Oh, my God. That was pretty much the reaction I got from all the command when I told them. I mean, this is, this is their friend. Yes. And, heart, heart, heartbroken at first. Very heartbroken. Right. And then it, it turned to, you know, anger pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, how could you do something like this? You know, you have let this monster out of jail. Um, you've endangered so many people. The public's in danger. Um, you know, those thoughts start coming, you know, coming and running through your head. But at that point, I knew I had an investigation I had to do. I had to get back to my job. Right. I couldn't let emotions play into it at this point. So I just got back to starting the investigation and processing the crime scene. Right. And you went to see Vicky's parents. 
So while all this is going on, I call patrol and I tell them, start pulling surveillance on, on Vicky's house. Because at the time, we didn't know that Vicky had sold the house. But, you know, fortunately for us, uh, the house Vicky sold was right behind her parents' house. Oh, uh-huh. So I tell patrol, this is what we got um, at this point. Anybody that comes turns on that road, stop them immediately. I don't care who it is. We're stopping them immediately. Let's do safety checks, you know, like a checkpoint. But don't go to the house yet until I give you notification that I'm headed up there and I'll let you go ahead and make contact with with her, uh, with the house and her family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when I start getting ready to leave uh, the uh, the patrol car, um, I call patrol again. I say, go check Vicky's house and make sure she is not there. Make sure Casey's not there, you know, anything else. Um, see if you can see any kind of occupants, anything, anybody inside that residence. So that's when we discovered that Vicky had sold the house. She no longer lived there. And her, luckily her mother come out and said, hey, what are y'all doing at my daughter's house? What's going on? And so they called and told me this. And I said, and had you met her parents before? I'd actually never met them before. Um, uh-huh. Come across them a couple of times, but never really truly met them. Right. No, I mean, actually, I live uh, probably about three or four miles from them. So, right. Um, but I just told them, I said, just stay with them. Don't tell them a whole lot. I'm on my way. Right. And at this point, with your first encounter, is it friendly or adversarial? Uh, I would say more you know, I was suspicious. I'm suspicious by nature. That's that's our job. Mm-hmm. So my my first thoughts is 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 her family in on this? All right. Um, right. You know, I'm I, that's the top. That's what an investigator is. We're going to question everything. Right. So yeah, I was I was probably not not so friendly at, at first. Right. And in the first interview, was there any takeaways that were uh, that would become important in the first contact? So when I notify. Vicky's mother of what had happened uh, mm-hmm. that Vicky was missing a murder suspect was missing you know she had true shock on her face um, so I knew then okay maybe she doesn't know and something. you're used to seeing people act you're right absolutely and this was no acting no this was no act um, and so she also says well I noticed Vicky left her purse here today I'm like well do you care if I search your house absolutely do what you gotta do so when I go inside Vicky's bedroom I find the purse and I asked the uh, Vicky's mother, "Have you went inside the purse?" And she said, "No. It's just uncommon for her not to take her purse with her." Mm-hmm. So I go and I look in the purse, and then I discover, you know, uh, her ID, her driver's li- or her driver's license, her credit cards, a very detailed checkbook. I couldn't believe how detailed she was. I'm that type, um, you know. When I spend money on my debit card, I don't keep a check register. Do you? Right. No. no. She does. Mm-hmm. Like she, she writes down every transaction, very detailed. Um, so that was in her in her purse. But then when I got to her dresser, um, that's when I discovered her will was laying out and the life insurance policy was laying out. So then my heart really started to sink. Mm-hmm. That's preparation. Absolutely. For something. It, it, it told me at that point, you know, she she is not planning on coming back alive. Right. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly. 
allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You leave the residence and... After, after several, several hours of processing the entire house, collecting numerous items of evidentiary value, um, interviewing mama, father, you know, other family members... Um, and and I, and I feel bad because now you know, everybody knows I have a, a pretty cru- pretty close relationship with Vicky's mom, but at the time I kind of treated her as a suspect. Um, so I asked her to look at her phone. Uh, it's of course one of the first things you always do. Uh, so I, I get Vicky's mom's phone, and every text message is deleted. Mm. Every call log is deleted, and I'm like, okay, what are you hiding? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, then I found out you know, that's that's what she does. You know, she she deletes every phone call and every text message after she gets <laughs> it. So that's the first person I've ever heard in the history of the planet that does that. Yes, uh, some I, older very, people do. Older that. people do yeah, do it. It's not most uncom- older people can't figure out how to read a text message, yet alone delete them. But th- this was a flip phone, which I haven't seen in you know, yeah, seventy five years or so. so. Oh, okay. So that night, you have a pretty restless night, and uh, you're coming up with more questions for Vicky's parents because right. things just aren't making sense. Yeah, the, you know, I probably got in bed, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning at this point, and of course, you know, I can't sleep, and I'm, I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, okay, I didn't ask this, I, I didn't look at that. So, a couple hours of sleep, and you know, I'm back up, and I'm, and I immediately go back over there to, to the parents' residence, and. I start talking to him again and asking questions. A lot of times you just ask questions a different way. Mm-hmm. You're going to get some more answers, you know, that you didn't, you know, ask for. So I, I asked stuff a different way, and that's when we discovered the storage unit. Okay. And we're not going to go into the manhunt. So we're going to leave all of that, and there is a very extensive two-part Abs- podcast absolutely. On, on the manhunt featuring none other than our senior inspector from the Gulf Coast Regional Fugitive Task Force, Scotty. So you should listen to that. We're going to skip ahead to takedown day, May 9th, 2022, and Scotty is on the scene in Evansville, Indiana. Yeah, we're up there. You know, we've already been through a couple of vehicles, uh, the Ford Edge and then the blue F-150, and now they're in this Cadillac. We're up there reviewing video and from the car wash and businesses and ring doorbell cameras, all those things. And we're also looking at license plate reader of Cadillacs that match that description in Evansville, Indiana. We're up there and we're looking at different photos and those kind of things comparing the cars And that's where I'm kind of focused in, and it's kind of a funny part of the whole story because I'm looking at this little sticker in the back of the window. It kind of looks like a QR code. Mm -hmm. And at that uh, moment, while I'm looking at this license plate reader photo of a Cadillac in Evansville, Indiana, that's when I get a call from the command post back here in Alabama. And I'll let you, Matt, fill you in on what he saw. Yeah, so we're doing the same thing. Um, and it was me and a couple other marshals, and I'm looking at the photo, and I believe we see the photo of the truck and the Cadillac in the same picture, and, like, it was like that aha moment, you know, there it is. So I called Scotty at the same time. I said, look at this photo. 
go to this time date on this photo right here. Look at this. And I'm like, we're looking at the same. Like, we're looking, looking at, at the right same now. photo. Okay. So these yeah. are photos that you're scrolling through. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I think, I think we found it at the same time, basically. Now, I did. I was looking at the sticker. Yeah. I had no And I'm like, that could be the same sticker. And you're like, well, hey, you be dummy. Look at the truck yeah, in front the truck of right it. There. The, the truck right there. The blue F-150 is right in front of the Cadillac. And we, that's how we knew that Cadillac at the motel was uh, Casey and Vicky. They, that's when they dumped the truck. Okay. Yeah. So right. that's how we knew it. Mm-hmm. Immediately after that point, um, I told everybody, I'm like, that's it. We got them. So we already had surveillance on that. We all got in our vehicles and then we kitted up. Let's put on our vest, uh, got our rifles out, got everything ready. And they were parked at a Motel 41. Correct. Okay. It's directly behind the sheriff's office, but you can't really see it from that hotel. There's a right. train tracks in between them. We make the quick drive over and we're setting up and we're trying to game plan. We're trying to find, hey, do we have enough for a search warrant? Uh, B, how are we going to conduct this tactical operation? And we still got these puzzle pieces moving and we're not in place yet. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, that's when um, who Vicki Watt came out of the hotel room. Right. And she's carrying a bag. Looks like they're getting out of Dodge. They're not going to stay there. Um, he, he described her. Um, as having a dirty, uh, not not a dirty wig, but a um, bad dye job on her, on her Who hair. Who described her? Is one of the task force officers with the Great Lakes. Okay. He's the only one that has the eyeball, mm-hmm. and he's talking about it. And that's when I asked him. He said, "I can't tell if it's her. It's probably her, but I can't tell." And and I asked him the question. I said, "Is she walking with a waddle?" And he said, "100. percent She's got a waddle." And so we we're pretty confident it's her. Um, Short time later, Casey comes out. He he's got the crutch um, that he's using to mask his his height, which is not doing very well. Mm-hmm. And he gets over in the driver's side. They come out of the hotel parking lot, not the direction we're thinking they're heading. They're taking the back road out, which is down in the area where some of us are. We're not all in right. position. We're right. not ready. Uh, to take them down we haven't coordinated enough and that and that's when I start asking I'm like hey get every unit you can headed this way because we're going to try to get them if we can get them in a uh, a, a containment type of environment we'll mm-hmm. do it mm-hmm. um, but we're definitely not going to let them get away right so it ended up I ended up right in front of them and I could see them very clearly I mean when you say right in front of them you mean one car in front yeah they're right behind me and right. which was ended up being uh i i was kind of like man this is not good i got an alabama tag on the back and i'm up here in evansville indiana and in oh, that's in a my, very good point right and, and i was like up oh. so i did um i i turned right we were at a stop sign i could just want to say this i could see their both of them's faces and to describe casey he kind of looked like the Unabomber. He had these big sunglasses on and this big, just a black hat, it appeared. And mm-hmm. just cool, calm, and collected. Uh, Vicky, she's she's nervous. She's looking all around. They can tell something's up. And that's when we, um, I pull on out and I go to the right. And I'm hoping they go right with me. And they did. They came out, but a car came in between us at that moment. Um I'll start, we go down to the red light. This is a very short distance I'm talking about. This is not 
uh, three miles down the road. Mm -hmm. It's maybe a quarter of a mile until mm -hmm. we get to the next intersection. We're there at the red light. You can see the patrol units at the gas station and uh, the other marshals from Great Lakes are coming in. And then, um, of course, from Gulf Coast, it was myself, um, one of our task force officers for us, and Senior Inspector Jeremy was with me as well. Mm -hmm. And um, we're start, everybody's getting in position, and Casey, he, he bolts out around us. Because he knows he's about to be trapped in, do you think? Or I, he's I, just, he feels the he's need, he's He's feeling go. it out. He knows something's up. Right. I don't know if he knows we're there for him. Right. With the Alabama tag, he probably did. But right. he wanted to see if we would go with him. So he pulled out and went around me and went up in the in the lane say the middle lane mm -hmm. and then at the last minute we pull out and we light him up and he darts over in the right lane the turn lane and takes a ride right on that highway and lighting him up means lights uh, lights, lights and, and sirens, sirens right? right okay and patrols there um we're all doing it we're kind of laying back initially mm -hmm. and we're following at a very high pace but we're letting patrol do it. They're doing the stop sticks, those kind of things. We're hearing it on our radio, but we don't have direct communication. So we're just kind of laying back a little bit. And this is not a long distance at all. We go down into the anchor industries um, business there. And it's, you, you. I know there's video out there. You can see it's not like we pulled into the parking lot driveway and went into anchor industries. Mm -hmm. We cut across the field uh, going through... It looked like Dukes of Hazzard. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did it look good, though? It, That's the question. It did look good. Yeah. So we're flying through there, and he he goes in on the north, would be the north side of the business. He does go in through a gate there, um, and he goes behind the business, and then he comes back up on the south side trying to get out, mm -hmm. and he's boxed in, so he makes a loop back out, and that's how we end up in the grass field um he he's going if you look at it and you're standing there and looking from the parking lot you really can't tell a ditch is there it looks flat so i think that was his out is what he was thinking and when he got up there and he saw the ditch that's when he cuts the wheel and he's looking for another way out and then i think you're kind of seeing he realizes hey i don't know that i can get out of this the door opens and his leg steps out of the vehicle mm -hmm. as they're still kind of moving. So they're getting ready to get out. Somebody had called out that they could see Vicky waving the gun around over our radio. I don't know if it was on the local radio. And that's when Jer Jeremy and them, uh, Jeremy made first contact with him and they started pushing him. I believe a couple, uh, one of the Great Lakes guys and maybe a second Great Lakes task force officer, they mm -hmm. made contact mm -hmm. as well and put them on over in the ditch. I'm right behind what would be Jeremy at that moment. Right. And I jump out and I run around to the left side. I, I didn't hear anything. Uh, some of the guys that were a little closer, I believe, stated they heard a gunshot. Um, I did not. I went around. That's when, you know, Casey came out of the top of the car saying, help my wife, help my wife. I had his left arm when, mm -hmm. when we brought him out. And he kind of fell over on top of me. He's pretty heavy. Um, so we got him up, got him cuffed and a couple of the guys walked him over and that's when, you know, they looked down and like could see Vicky had the gun in her hand. When he came out, you know, his hair was kind of tinted a little red, a little reddish like color. they colored it red. Um, 
but you know there was also um which matt can talk about more you know he was actually hit by the round that uh, went through vicky's head um they kind of scraped him which had blood but the tint of the hair was you could tell it was purposeful they did a bad dye job mm-hmm, so to speak mm-hmm. um and she was still alive at that she time. was still yes. alive yes yep. she was mm-hmm. still alive. not not conscious but she was alive right. um still breathing and i you know when she came out of the car i was i was hopeful because she was still breathing i mean i could see you know, the wig came off once the, uh, they got her out of the car. EMS started. You could see a little bit of that red dye in her hair as well. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. she had cut it, her hair. Yeah, her hair was a lot shorter. It was real short. And so, you know, you could, she was still breathing. So I was hopeful because it wasn't apparent. You could see blood, but, you know, you didn't know if it was from the rain. I didn't know she had shot herself at that moment. Right. But then I could see a little more blood and right. I got a little worried. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when I called matt and told you guys uh we got him and yes. she was shot i said how i think i even told i thought she was going to make it because i didn't like i said i didn't see the gunshot so i think you said it for at first you said i don't think it's that bad yeah i uh, said i didn't think it was that bad mm-hmm. and because I, you know I, honestly i saw a little bit of blood on her chest i think right and i, I think that's like, what you'd originally told me was maybe yeah. you know like a grazing wound to the chest type thing yeah that's what um I, and then I think later on you said. I was like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Yes. Yeah, you could tell she was in trouble uh, as they were treating her and whatnot, and it, it didn't look very good at that moment. Mm-hmm. So Vicky will get transported to the hospital where she will pass away, and Casey White is now in custody. And, Matt, you're back in the command center, and your responsibility is now what? While the, while the takedown is going on, we, we, you know, got word. I think that something was fixing to happen. So we bring Sheriff Singleton in. I believe the chief deputy come in. Uh, me and you have our conversation. I tell them, you know, Casey's in custody. Everybody's happy. Um, and then I think we find out Vicky's more seriously injured than we originally thought. Immediately, I get into my, my patrol vehicle, which is an unmarked vehicle, and I start going to Vicky's mother's house. And I'm running lights and sirens because, you know, I, I don't want the media finding out. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming media's – well, I knew media was already up there. Yeah. So I didn't want Vicky's mom to find out, you know, on TV. Right. So I, I make the 20, 25-minute drive uh, to Vicky's mom's house. I get there, um, and I think me and Scotty had been on the phone pretty much the, the whole ride uh, to there. So I, I knew by the time I got there, I knew quite a bit. And so I had to immediately break the news to um, Vicky's parents. Uh, when I arrived, uh, Vicky's mom walks out, and she, you know, very friendly, in a friendly way, says, Hey, Matt, what's going on today? And she was, like, in a good mood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's seen the look on my face, and she said, Oh, my God. I said, Miss Pat, let's sit down. So at that point, I break the news that, you no, know, she's – being transported to the hospital she's been shot and it does not look good Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's where uh it starts back up with her mom again you know and it was just a an emotional roller coaster because you know family starts because they call some family in everybody's very emotional so uh at that point scotty puts me in contact with the lieutenant up there at vandenberg sheriff's office right uh, and me and Doug uh, got very close there for a few days. So uh, Vandenberg Sheriff's Office says, you know, when I'm on the phone with them, uh, 
can you identify her if if uh, we get you on FaceTime and, and show you her here in the hospital? I said, yes, absolutely. I, you know, I know her well enough. I obviously can identify her. So we get on FaceTime, you know, and I say, yes, that, that is that is Vicky. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so shortly thereafter is when, you know, she expired. And at that point became the one of the toughest things I've ever done is notifying her sweet mother that Vicky had passed. Right. Chris, when you heard how the apprehension went down, what were your thoughts? You know, to be honest, I thought if anybody was going to die in that chase, you would, you would have thought it would be Casey White. Um, you know, and his version of the events being a, you know, murder-suicide was the plan. Well, he didn't, he didn't uh, execute that plan. Right. Um, but anyway, that's, it's just so shocking when, you know, it's the captivates everybody for so many days, and then all of a sudden it, it's over, and she's dead, and we're going to get him. So mm-hmm. pretty much of a gut punch, you know. I'm just curious, because of the way everybody felt about her, did the law enforcement community show up for her funeral? Or were they so angry that they stayed away? You know, some did. I went. I know our district court judge went. And there I went also. Law enforcement people there. Some stayed away. I mean, you know, and it's that range of emotions you have when something like this happens. You know, you, you're grieving for but then, you know, I wake up mad about it, too. What in the world are you thinking? And, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag on, on that. But Right. Okay. So there were some letters found in the car. Yeah, so... so the next day, um, me and my partner, we load up, and here we are going to Indiana ourselves. So um, I get up there, and the first thing that we did is I want to collect all the evidence, you know, that was in the, the mm-hmm. Cadillac and recovered from the hotel room. Um, so in that was some notebooks that were very interesting. Is that, is that what we're going to say? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, he had, he had written several letters, um, in this notebook and this was, all these were written prior to, of course, the, the chase and capture, all that. And And they were written because Casey White assumed he was never going to make it. Yes. Casey was, uh, you know, they were going to run until they were dead. Right. That's what Casey had, had, you know, written in his own handwriting. Right. So So the first letter is to whom? Uh, the first letter is uh, it's just a letter at large uh, to, we assume, law enforcement, the media, that uh-huh. type of thing. Right. It says, this is Casey Cole White, and me and my wife are all over the news. He says, y'all are stupid. Anyways, I don't think we will make it much longer, but you never know. I just wanted y'all to know um, that I never killed anyone, but my beautiful wife wants me to shoot her when and if y'all, and he uses an explicative, mm-hmm. when y'all catch us, catch up to us. Um, so that was one of the first notes that we had found. And just one comment that I think is appropriate at this time as he talks about his wife and the care that he has for her the day prior. Scotty, who was he on the phone with? He was communicating with a sex chat line. 
uh, talking to obviously females. And then there was some communication with random people that mm-hmm. aren't, uh, it was a different area code. Uh, it was up in the Evansville area. Don't know how he met them, if it was online or what. He was texting directly to some women right. up in that area that I don't, I don't, I very seriously doubt they knew who he was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the next letter is to whom? <laughs> The next letter is addressed to his mother. Um, he he thinks a lot of his mother, and he t- he talks about that. And he goes on, and he says um, he's talking about uh, Vicky, and he says, "If we get caught, she wants me to shoot her. I hate to. I don't know if I can, but I got to. We done. We done have plans. So I didn't want you to think I was just a killer. So." Even there, he talks about his letters to his mom. You know, he, he was going to kill Vicky. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes a letter, you know, to his son um, and says, you know, Daddy was sick of being locked up, and my wife was able to get me out, but I'd rather die than go back. And life is no good behind bars. Um, so he was talking about, you know, that Vicky did get him out, and he, he, was, he was appreciative of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he goes on and says, you know, when he starts talking about Vicky, he says, she wants us to die together, so don't think Daddy is a killer. That's what I had to do. So, um, and he, just, he just goes on. Uh, there's there's letters to his dad, um, and he talks basically the same thing, uh, that, you know, he was going to have to kill Vicky, and so don't think bad of him because of that. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you arrive on May 10th. Yes. You collected the evidence. A SWAT team arrives from Laurel County to take Casey back to Alabama. Yeah, so, you know, at this point, we're so, you know, from from the law enforcement standpoint down here, of course, we're embarrassed about what has happened. You know, our Mm -hmm. agency has been thrust into the spotlight. Uh, So the last thing we want is, you know, transporting Casey back here and something happened, you know, Casey's kidnapped, somebody tries to make a name for themselves. We're going to give a whole lot of security, so we send, you know, the whole SWAT team up here to transport him back. So it was a, a bit of a caravan coming Absolutely. back. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the autopsy is done at 6 p.m. Yes. And you attend Vicky's autopsy. So uh, we talked about it earlier, my, my last conversation with Vicky. Uh, the, since that conversation, the, the next time I seen Vicky was on that autopsy table. Mm-hmm. And what were the conclusions from the autopsy? Immediately upon seeing the body, you know, I, I had questions of intentional suicide. Just never seen a suicide with with that bullet location. Um, the trajectory, you know, it's like, you know, Chris just mentioned, it, it, you know, it was just the angle of it. We, it, barely, it barely hit her, so... I immediately had questions, um, and of course we, you know, got to looking at uh, some of the uh, some of the uh, findings from the ME. Um. So, Matt, what was your thoughts when you found out Casey White was going to plead guilty to escape? I was I was absolutely shocked and floored. Uh, Why were you floored? How could you say you were innocent when 
either you're in your cell or you're not. Well, well, Casey, you know, I think Casey wants that attention. That that that's his uh, that's his fifteen oh, okay. minutes of fame. You know? So he'd just enjoy the show. Oh, absolutely. Oh, okay. You know, I think Casey just wanted it. You right. know, Casey was he wanted the world to hear his story and how you know that he was in love with his wife when we all know that it wasn't his wife and he wasn't in love with her. Right. He was using her. You know, he wanted to get up here and tell that story. So we thought. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so. For for Vicky's sake, I'm glad he didn't. Have and as Scotty said, when he was in back in Donaldson, uh, apparently he became quite popular. Oh yes, we know we, we with the ladies. Yes, I've I've got a lot of his prison phone calls afterwards. You know, yeah. we still listen to him, and he has the women lined up. You know, so yeah. he's mm-hmm. a little bit of a folklore. Thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody wants yeah. they, they want the attention from him now. Yes. So. Right. So the takedown happens. Vicky is killed, and you decide, in addition to the escape charges, that you're going to bring a murder charge against Casey White. Do you feel that Casey shot her, or does somebody actually not have to commit murder on someone else to be charged with murder? Yeah, he he did not shoot her. We know that. So, in Alabama, if you commit felony clearly dangerous to human life including escape in the first degree which is specifically in the felony murder statute you can be charged with with murder so that was our theory against white he was the one driving the car the getaway car doing something extremely dangerous and fleeing from the police in the course of an escape in the first degree so he was eligible for that felony murder charge and you know that the other thing that's kind of kind of was an unknown and i think it's now known matt and i went to evansville and met with all those guys and obviously reviewed the reviewed body cam and so forth well the the shot that she inflicted upon herself in the head Mm -hmm. has been you know people say that's a suicide we don't necessarily think it was we think it could have been an accidental discharge of her weapon during the course of of them fleeing and being rammed by a marshal or two went off into a fairly large ditch. I mean, Matt even took the there's the 911 call where she's it's called in. Uh, Matt took it over to what was that Fame Recording Fame Recording Studios here and and uh, tried to enhance it because the the the, the 911 call to me did not sound like she was suicidal. She's saying, stop the car, you know, you know, the airbag's going to deploy, all those things. And you can, you know, the people describe the shot. And so, you know, one theory was that as they're they're getting, you know, not just tap, they're getting rammed to keep right. him from getting away. Right. So they're off in a pretty significant ditch, and she's, it's on the passenger side. So, and it wasn't a typical suicide location the headshot wasn't so and then, that's not a typical location well it wasn't a it wasn't a contact wound to the side of the head oh yes and right. we met with the the medical examiner up there matt and i did to talk about all that so um, i've worked you know several uh suicides i would rather honestly just you know forget about it at this point in my life that i've worked so many and that is the first suicide to the back of the head type angle that you know I've ever worked most are to the temple, forehead, mouth, that type of thing. Uh, this one was just a totally different trajectory um, and and placement of the, of the shot than I'd ever seen in any other suicide that I've ever worked. 
Mm-hmm. Man, it almost skimmed across the top of her head. The shot to the head was it, not. It almost missed her. Oh, okay. That would. But so the significance of that. I mean, even if she had committed suicide, right? She he was still could be charged and I think found guilty of felony murder. But I think given the fact that we think it was probably an accidental discharge during the course of the fleeing, I just think that has probably more jury appeal mm-hmm. um, that it was an accidental shot. Right. And you have since decided to withdraw the murder charge. That's right. Well, I mean, he pled guilty to life in prison for the for the escape. Okay. So, you know, talk to the our law enforcement partners about is that – is that enough time to put on him for this? And, you know, that was the conclusion because you have, you know, you don't have any uncertainty when you, a guy settles and takes a life sentence. You don't have a jury. You don't have endless appeals. You don't have all those things. But, you know, in addition to law enforcement being supportive of that plea, the person that I wanted to be supportive of it more than anybody was Vicky's family. And they, right. were, they were here the day of that status conference where that kind of came together rather quickly, and they were unequivocal in, in – in being supportive of getting that behind them and trying to move on with their, you know, putting the pieces back together if they ever can. But, I mean, that, that that's that's why we did it. Mm-hmm. The tenor of the call does not act like she's a top. I mean, it acts like it's a almost a butt dial or something. Right, you know? that's what I But what did that lady like. up there say? Uh, we feel like, you know, like we said, it was a butt dial. Um, I know Casey had said in his interview later on that, uh, you know, she wanted to call Sheriff Singleton. Uh, so maybe she had the phone in her hand, didn't realize that she actually dialed the number. Um, but, yeah, she had actually called 911. But mm-hmm. I don't think she realized it, that she was connected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to say this about the marshal service. The way that they conducted this investigation in partners with our local people and everybody was remarkable. And then when we went up there and met with those marshals that were actually involved in the capture, so much dedication to bringing him in no matter the cost and you know there's the old rope thing about people running too danger when i'm running away i mean that was that was a perfect example of it because you know the lead car up there sees him once he's in the ditch trying to get out of the car and he's like that ain't gonna happen not mm-hmm. on my watch it's not and then mm-hmm. they ram the car you know and they know he's got guns they see him so that was just the, you know, I'm proud to be partners with them. Mm-hmm. Thank you, sir. Well, Chris Connolly, thank you very much for uh, joining us. Uh, he's been the district attorney here since 2004 and uh, will be for uh, the foreseeable future and uh, all of eternity. Just signed up for another six, I will say. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> well done, sir. Okay. And by the time, um, you know, we do your next one, Matt may have uh, made you a particular fan of a different team i would bet money that's not gonna happen <laughs> i got six years <laughs> okay thanks okay. very much thank Chris. You, chris thank you sir and as usual thank you to scotty from the u.s marshals gulf coast regional fugitive task force and sergeant matt burbank from the lauderdale county sheriff's office thank you all as always please help us spread the word about chasing evil Tell your friends, leave us a glowing review, and of course, give us a five-star rating. We would truly appreciate it. 
And finally, Chasing Evil is produced with the cooperation of the United States Marshals Service and contains interviews with current and retired employees as well as other persons. Opinions, positions, and views expressed by any of them may not reflect the official views, positions, or policies of the United States Marshals Service. Be safe, everyone. Thank you.